Hi friends! Before we start the episode, we just wanted you to know we've been playing around with our audio recording software because we want to ultimately provide the best audio quality possible, but things might be a little bumpy while we're working it all out, so please pardon any technical difficulties in the audio. Welcome to episode 69 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jinstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in 
a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 69 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am fabulous. How are you? Good. It's official that I am now retired because my friends are all going back to work. My oh. teacher friends. So like up until now, I've been on summer vacation, it felt like, you know, but it's officially like the end of summer for the teachers. And I knew it would feel real when, once the friend, the friends started going back and getting their rooms ready. So I've been watching them over on Facebook, get their rooms ready and hearing them talk about it. And <sighs> how do you feel? emotionally about it you know I, I have all the feels right um there's a part of me that that feels like I'm missing something like like a sadness because I'm not getting my room ready I'm not you know gonna see the kids at open house so that's weird and I, I'm gonna miss these kids a lot so <laughs> but then there's a part of me that's overjoyed so it's, it's really just such a mix of feelings but now it feels official. Like for the first time, it feels official. Now that summer is over, you know, we start school early in Georgia. The The kids go back early. Some parts of the country, in some places, they don't go back till after Labor Day. No, our teachers go back August 1st. Oh, wow. Yeah. And when do you, when did you get out? You, did you get out early? Yeah, we get out um, end of May. Okay. Yeah. So. Things are getting real. <laughs> it's official yeah I knew it would just feel like summer all summer and then it would when everybody went back that's when I but I, I feel a little bit lost like you know what am I supposed to be doing now so <laughs> luckily I have lots of things to do so well I will say so we're recording this a little bit in advance so it hasn't happened yet but I'm going to assume it's happened congrats on having your audiobook up thank you thank you thank I'm just you. assuming it's going to be up by now yes, yes. <laughs> I'm sure it probably will be Oh, this is super random. I only have one allergy to trees, and that's – are you allergic to trees? Um, I don't know. I used to have, you know, pollen allergies that were a problem. Have you ever had, like, a an allergy, IgE? No, I haven't had a full – if I have, I don't remember. I haven't in my adult life have had one, no. Okay. Well, coming from me, I'm sure you can suspect I've had it quite a yeah, few times. Yeah, yeah, Trees I'm fine with, except olive tree which is interesting. And I've been wondering if, um, because I'm allergic to olive trees, if I would be allergic to olives. I don't know. And I don't like olives personally, so I've been wondering. But I I have a point with this, I promise. Um, (laughs) Last night, I tried some olive oil, and I don't really Uh ever eat olive oil. And I got this intense burning in my throat. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm allergic to olives. I knew it. But then I researched, do you know why we get burning in our throat from olive oil? I don't because I do not get that. Oh, well, apparently, so different different olive oils 
I didn't know any of this. I learned this all last night. Different olive oils create different levels of burning in the throat. And apparently, so people who are like olive oil connoisseurs, the better, the more burn, the better. It actually relates to the anti-inflammatory compounds in olive oil. There's a compound in olive oil that is the same compound in ibuprofen. Wow. And it uh, downregulates the COX inflammation enzymes in the body. So it gets rid of inflammation. And um, they're like, if you ever swallow an ibuprofen plain, you'll get a burning sensation in your throat. I haven't done that before. I don't know if you have. I've had one like get stuck before and it does did burn. It, did but it burn? That's different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it might have been because this compound that only is in our throat that it can detect it, um, but it's anti-inflammatory. But the more burn you feel, I guess the more anti-inflammatory it is. Right. So long well, that's story interesting. short, if you're having olive oil and it burns, embrace it. Yeah. Well, I don't have it by itself. I cook with it. Like every night, I have like right beside my stove, I have a big thing of olive oil and I go through a lot of olive oil. Yeah. I just cook with it, but I don't have it like straight. I just, like I said, I'll saute in it. I'll, you know, use it in the pan for my meat, that sort of thing. Do you ever use avocado oil? I have some avocado oil. Um, I was using it for a while because it's supposed to be better at high heat than olive mm-hmm. oil, but I just always grab the olive oil. <laughs> oh, and also, you know, one reason I got it is because I had these nonstick pans and then the finished, and they were expensive. I got them at Williams Sonoma and they didn't hold up. And so I went back to Williams Sonoma and they're like, oh, have you been using any olive oil in your pans? You're not supposed to. I'm like, what? No, forget that. <laughs> I'll just buy new pans every time then. But for a while after that, I was like, I'll use avocado oil instead because it was supposed to be better for the pans or something. But I just so, like olive oil. Like olive oil. Yeah. All the oils. Yep. All righty. Shall we jump into everything for today? Yes. Let's get started. Okay. So to start things off, we have a question from, how do you think you say that? Josiane. Josiane. From Josiane. And the subject is accidentally breaking the fast. And she says... Hi, ladies. I've just started IF less than a week ago, and I found it to be a lot easier than I expected. On occasion, like this morning, I lick my fingers when I'm preparing food for my family during my fast, and it makes me so mad. I'm immediately scraping any traces of peanut butter from my tongue and rinsing my mouth, but I suspect it's too late. My question is this. Since my fast is essentially broken, should I just go ahead and eat, or are there any benefits from continuing the fast to my target time even though it's not perfectly clean? Should I should I equate it to the effect that toothpaste and mouthwash might have on my insulin and just carry on with the fast? Alrighty. What are your thoughts, Jen? Well, we, we hear this question a lot in the Facebook groups because people, especially when they're starting out, like Josiane is here, they forget that they're fasting and so they'll lick their fingers. Now, I do say this gets better over time. You stop doing that. <laughs> you know, I haven't accidentally done that in, I don't know, years. And I, I prepare food for people all the time while I'm fasting, like no problem. And I do not accidentally stick food in my mouth anymore. I mean, I think the urge was stronger at the beginning before I um, – was used to fasting, but once you get used to fasting, it it gets better. So what do you do now in the meantime when you accidentally lick your finger or whatever? Of course, we we don't want to say no big deal at like, you know, no, it's not a problem. Just do it and move on. Although that is what we're going to say. No big deal. It's not a problem. Move on. But the reason we don't want to say no big deal is because we don't want to encourage it to be like a habit that you don't break. Like, oh, it's no big deal. I'll just keep 
accidentally licking my finger, right? So don't do it on purpose. Don't think it's not a big deal, you know, that it, it's not a problem. But if you accidentally do it every now and then, treat it like it's no big deal. It may make you temporarily hungry. And so, you know, because your body's like, all right, I'm having the peanut butter now. So ignore it if you can. You know, it might make you, if you feel shaky after, you know, a little while goes by, maybe you do need to go ahead and break your fast that day and then try again tomorrow. But don't use it as an excuse. So I've blown it. I might as well just, you know, no. So there's so many ways you can let this be a problem or you could just let it be like a non-event and just keep going. While I said trying not to do it again, that's the goal. You don't want to do that, but if you do, just keep going if you can. You might not be able to, though, like I said, if you get shaky. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, so it's funny. This question is, you know, asking about the the physical effects, like is it affecting insulin, things like that. But I really think the important thing here is the mindset. <laughs> right. Because – I mean, I, I know we're super big advocates of clean fasting and everything like that, but I don't want it to become this thing where it's so rigid where you, you know, you accidentally break your fast and then you're scolding yourself or you feel like you've ruined something or, I mean, it's just, it's not a healthy mindset and it's not the way we want to live our lives. Food is a nourishing, healthy thing. And so I don't think we should be attacking ourselves if we accidentally break the fast or something. We should, you know, definitely get into a habit and it becomes easier, like Jen said, that you, you'll just stop doing things like this and um, it won't even be a thing. But if it does happen, I wouldn't, I really wouldn't stress about it and I wouldn't see it as like, oh, now I've broken the fast so I have to break the fast. Like, no. <laughs> you, you can do whatever, you can do whatever you want. I'm just going to say that. Like, even if you don't want to intermittent fast one day, that's fine. Like, that's okay. You know, like everything will be okay. In general, we find intermittent fasting to be wonderful. When we do want to practice it every day, the longer you do it, the more you want to do it, it becomes easier. But in the end, you can still do whatever you want. If you break the fast and you do feel super hungry and you want to start eating, fine. Then you can do that. Just see it as a longer window. It's good to shake things up every now and then anyway. Or if you feel like, okay, you know, I'm fine. It didn't really spike my hunger. I can just keep on keeping on. Um, don't feel like you have to break, you have to keep breaking the fast because especially if it's a small little bit, it'll get processed pretty fast. You'll quickly probably be back in the fasted state. It'll be fine. So yeah, keep on yeah. keeping so on. Speak to what you just said. I have a chapter in Delay, Don't Deny called um, Intermittent Fasting is Not a Religion. So you don't have to, <laughs> well, you don't have to worry about that. You know, it's a lifestyle, not a religion. I think that's actually the title of it. Intermittent fasting is a lifestyle, not a religion. So we don't have to feel like we're sinning or, you know, we ruined everything if you accidentally have a slip up like that. But again, on the other side of the coin, like I said, don't, you know, take that as permission to taste things all the time. (laughs) You don't want to. It's not ideal, but, you know, life isn't perfect. We're not perfect. So it's okay to not be perfect. You know, you do your best. You try to keep the fast and just go on with your life. Yeah. And like, for example, we had Ori Hoffmeckler on the podcast a few episodes ago. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. But um, he he's like the grandfather of intermittent fasting. But he also even discussed about he now does like an – and we're, we're not advocating this as like the intermittent fasting that we typically practice. But he even talks about like – 
doing phases where he'll like under eat during the day and he'll munch on like berries and things like that. Not the same thing, but I'm just saying that there are a lot of healthy dietary approaches you can go and I just don't want people to completely stress about things to to the point that it becomes more detrimental than healing. All right, are we ready for our next question? Yes. This is from Katie and her subject is water. And Katie says, hi, Jen and Melanie. I love your podcast and look forward to the new ones that come out each week. I wish there were more. I started listening last summer and went back to listen to all of the episodes, some of them more than once. Anyway, my question is regarding water and the sun. I listened to one of the podcasts where Melanie talked about getting water from veggies and fruits was good for you because of the sun exposure. She also said that she uses gallon jugs to put her water in and she puts it out in the sun. I just ordered some of those jugs and was wondering how long I should let them sit in the sun. I want to make sure they have enough exposure for the sun to do its thing. Thank you, ladies, for your podcasts, and I can't wait to hear the next one. And this is something I don't know a lot, a lot about, so I'm looking forward to Melanie's response to it. Alrighty. Well, thanks so much for your question, Katie. So what Katie is talking about, it's something I've talked about before, and it's basically the idea of... Um, it's called structured water. It's the idea that the water from fruits and vegetables and then certain water that has been changed energetically via UV and um, different wavelengths and stuff like that actually changes the energy charge of the water. It's also called, quote, easy water, which apparently stands for exclusion zone. Um, so the thinking goes is that this water actually has a negative charge and it's the same type of water in your cells and it can more easily assimilate into your cells more it's better for hydration it's better for basically optimal health there's actually a whole book about it called the fourth phase of water um, so i'll put a link to that in the show notes i'll also put a link to some articles that discuss it in great detail because it is kind of complicated but dr axe has a really good article on it the main guy who studies it, his name is Dr. Gerald Pollack, and he actually he's a um, he's a professor or he works at a university, but um, he actually does studies all about this water, and he has a whole website. So I'll put a link to that as well. The thinking goes that the water actually in fruits and vegetables is going to naturally be this type of water, but then they say that if you water out in the sunlight that it actually can create this charge as well and I did lots of research and people are all over the board as to how long they they keep it out and some people are like you have to like swirl it to create gravity and then some people are like you have to put in you know some salt and I don't know it was really complicated I, I researched it for a long time I just put uh fill up my gallon jugs of which I ordered on Amazon. If you go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like, I have links there to the jugs I use. I use these jugs. I fill them up either from Whole Foods or from there's like a, a water fill up thing outside of the, the Ralph's by me. I go through so much water that I just basically put them outside and then I just rotate. And I, I typically go through a gallon of water every, you know, day or so almost so I'm, I'm constantly rotating them so they probably I don't know if this is right honestly but they're probably outside for you know 24 to 36 hours or so can't tell you if it's hardcore doing anything but I feel like it is and I, I also really like 
like I said, the water from like fruits and vegetables and stuff like that. But if you want all the details, definitely check out those websites and definitely check out, if you really want the details, that, that book, The Fourth Phase of Water. It's kind of complicated. I definitely think it's a thing. Feel free to research more if you like. I do have some things to add. Um, just, I do think there's a lot we don't know. And I've, I've seen some interesting things about energy. And I know there's a lot going on with energy that we don't know. But I am also married to an organic chemist. And, you know, it would be really funny is if we asked him that question, he would just like absolutely ridicule the idea that water is different, you know, because water is water is water. Oh, really? He wouldn't. He wouldn't say that it has it could have a electric charge. Well, water is water is water. I'm pretty sure he would say that it's it's not going to be different. But I'm going to ask him at dinner tonight and see what he says. I'd be curious. Yeah, ask him. Yeah, and let us yeah. know next week what he says. Because he always he always says that kind of thing when I, to that kind of question. I'm going to ask him and see. Ask. Yeah, I'm I'm writing it down. I think that he would say that water always has like the same charge. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not an organic chemist. Let so me know. Maybe let me not. know what he says. I will charged i'm writing this down charged <laughs> i wish he was here i would ask him right now we could have yeah so here is dr chad stevens the organic chemist <laughs> anyway so i don't i don't know scientifically the merit of that but you know, you know there's so many interesting things out there like we've talked before about being grounded and standing on the earth and yeah you know and and having the charges and i i talked about with him one time about the ions and being at the beach and how that's different and he just looked at me so <laughs> well, people talk about i mean like the the fact that you're talking about being grounded and everything i think i actually think that's really huge like the idea behind that is that too. we we're not um naturally you know walking on barefoot on the ground and and so we're not bringing up these negative ions from the earth which um, theory goes they affect our body. I actually have, I'm using it right now. I'll, I'll put a link to it on the, um, I slash stuff. We like, I have a grounding mat. Have you ever used one of those? You know, I actually have a grounding mat somewhere. I bought one years ago and I don't know what I did with it, but yeah, now I just go outside barefoot. A lot of people will like sleep on it and swear by it. I actually have mine. Yep. So mine's hooked up and I have it. So it's underneath my keyboard and my mouse and everything. I do find, though, the, the more and more studies and the more and more things I listen to of just about, like, EMFs and electricity and how everything is affecting right. everything, I I think it's huge. Like, if you had asked me this a couple years ago, I would have said, meh, I don't, I don't know. Like, probably not a big deal. I, I'm starting to think it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Now, he doesn't – now, we have talked about energy, he and I have, and, and everything is energy down at its most basic level. So we do agree with that, of course, obviously. You know, the atomic level, everything is energy. So does water have different energy? That's a good question. He he goes down to the structure of things and is like, well, no, it's got the structure. It's the same structure. <laughs> water is water. That that's. <laughs> but I don't know what he'll say to this. I'm excited. So yeah. stay tuned, listeners, for next week for <laughs> the answer. So our next question actually comes from Melanie, and not me, Melanie, but <laughs> she says, uh, the subject is true hunger. Melanie says, hi, Jen and Melanie. I look forward to your podcast every week. I'm 64 years old, and I've been intermittent fasting for about six years, ranging from 16-8 to mostly 24 every day. I've also been eating a whole foods plant-based diet for over eight years. I feel great. I've been reading about true hunger. 
I've read that the hunger pains are not real hunger that indicate detoxing, that one should learn to embrace the feeling of hunger instead of, instead of fear it, and true hunger has entirely different signals, like a pleasant desire to nourish yourself and eat and salivating, and that true hunger is felt in the throat. I rarely feel hunger until the end of my fast, with just an anticipation of nourishing myself. What are your thoughts? Thanks for your podcast. All right. True hunger. I do think she makes an interesting point at the end, how she feels hungry at the end of her fast when she's anticipating nourishing herself. And I think that is so true for me. Like, um, you know, I don't normally eat lunch, but a week ago it was my birthday and someone brought lunch to my house and I knew I was going to eat. And so I was like, oh, I'm hungry. Normally, I'm never hungry at that time of day. So I do think there's an anticipatory hunger that we know we're about to eat. It's it's like just, you know, our mind is setting us up that we're about to eat. Um, as far as, as true hunger goes, I think we still rarely feel it, you know, even in the fasted state. Some of the things that we're used to thinking are hunger are not really hunger, like the stomach rumbling. You know, my stomach rumbles throughout the day and we're used to saying, oh, that must mean I'm hungry. But it's just a sensation that passes during the day. I also, I'm not really sure, um, Melanie mentioned that that hunger pains indicate detoxing. I'm not sure about that because our body is constantly, you know, quote, detoxing, unquote. I mean, it's not like you are and then you stop. You know, our liver is doing its job. Our body is always processing and, quote, detoxing things. So I don't think there's like a moment when you're like, now I'm detoxing and now I'm not. So I would say no to that necessarily. Um, that, that doesn't sound like something to me. What do you think about that, Melanie? Yeah. So I definitely, Melanie, I definitely think there is a difference between quote, true hunger and appetite. And I think one of the most fantastic ways to start realizing that is with intermittent fasting. Because honestly, when you're eating a standard American diet and you're eating constantly throughout the day, I I don't think we really hardcore get into a quote, true hunger phase because we're constantly eating. So we're almost constantly yeah, we're in the fed we're in state, the fed state. Like all the time, <laughs> especially dealing with cravings and things like that when you're in the fasted state. Sometimes, especially when you first start, you might get a certain craving or feel like you're hungry. Then if you really think about it, like, am I actually hungry or is this a craving? That can usually be pretty enlightening and there really can be a difference. And for example, um, cravings typically tend to be for like a very specific food, like I'm craving chocolate right now. I really want to eat a chocolate or I really want this certain cheeseburger from McDonald's or you, you want something like specific to pass the time or just because you, you're, you know, you're quote craving it. Whereas I feel like hunger is more of an innate sense of the need for food and the need for nourishment. It's like a, just a different overall feeling. And it's kind of like, if you think about how you're craving something, but then if you get like super absorbed in a task that's really interesting, you might completely forget that you were hungry. And why is that? Is, is it that you were never hungry or is it that it was just a craving to begin with? And I think oftentimes it was just a craving. And so I did find a really fascinating study 
It was called Changing Perceptions of Hunger on a High Nutrient Density Diet. And I wonder, Melanie, if you read this study because it actually talks to a, a lot of things that you talked about. The study is really interesting. They actually compared the difference of hunger sensations on um, people who were following a, a quote, high nutrient density diet and a, like a lower density nutrient density diet. So this isn't about fasting per se, but basically they were comparing eating, you know, processed inflammatory foods versus eating like whole vegetables and really, really nutrient rich foods. And they actually found that the people who started eating the nutrient rich whole foods, that their perceptions of hunger dramatically decreased, which is really fascinating. Um, It says that their feelings of like fatigue, weakness, stomach cramps, tremors, irritability, all these things that we often attribute to quote hunger, that the people who started eating a really nutritious diet, they started saying that these hunger sensations were less pressing and less distressing. They actually started feeling quote true throat hunger, which is what Melanie talked about. For those that were following like the processed low nutrient diet, that when they felt hungry, they really felt it in their their stomach and they didn't really feel it at all in their throat. But for the people who were following a super nutrient-dense diet, they also felt it the most in their stomach, but much less so. They, also, they felt it also way more in their throat. So th- it's really interesting. There's actually, it seems to be something to where we feel this hunger sensation. And um, some other things that point out it's about hunger – It says that hunger normally increases as a sign of us going through our glycogen stores, our glycogen stores, so basically depleting our carbs. They also say that in our modern society where we overeat, where we're eating constantly, that oftentimes we mistake, we do mistake withdrawal symptoms for hunger, but it's not actually hunger. So that's actually, that might relate to what Melanie was talking about with like a detox type reaction. So it's not so much that we're hungry. It's just that we're withdrawing from not having these foods that are messing with our hunger until we want them again. Okay. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if she read that article then and that's where that came from. It says after, I'll just read this quote. It says after the completion of digestive activity during catabolism, of cellular waste products are heightened and that this um, creates the symptoms commonly thought to be hunger. Well, that does sound like detox. <laughs> okay. I feel like Melanie read this article. Please let me know. She okay. had to have because it's literally everything she said. Um, or she prob- or she might have read like a, a summary of it. One other thing it pointed out that I liked, it said that true hunger protects lean body mass. Because it tells you you need to eat to protect your lean body mass, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it says it does. It says it does not fuel fat de- deposition, which is interesting. It exists to yeah. protect lean body mass from u- utilization as an energy source. So when you reach that point in intermittent fasting where you're actually hungry, it's doing that to to protect your muscle. It's a good thing. And that's where we really want to get to, to that point where we are protecting our body, nourishing our body and fueling our body. And like it says, this type of hunger is not going to encourage, it's not encouraging fat storage like a craving would do. So, and I, I always tie this back to Dr. Herring's book, Appetite Correction. And I have noticed with myself, um, if I 
have a snack. Normally my pattern is I'll have a snack, then a couple of hours later I'll eat my meal and then maybe a little something sweet. And then my window is closed, glass of wine in there somewhere. But some days if I'm really, really busy and I don't have time to eat a snack or if I'm doing something else and I just don't think of the snack or if I don't really want a snack and I only eat a meal and maybe that meal is not really enough food for my body for the whole day, a few hours later I find myself in the kitchen looking for something to eat hungry. And it's like my body is telling me I haven't had enough to eat. And so I'm, I'm listening to that different kind of feeling like I have got to eat something now. And so that's the hunger that you were just talking about, Melanie, from the, um, from the article. It's, it's my body saying have more. And that's the whole point of appetite correction, that we have to learn to listen to those signals. And we start to recognize it. And then, you know, I'm not normally in the kitchen looking for something to eat at 9 p.m., but on those days that I might be, I'm like, oh, I really didn't snack today and I had a smaller dinner. And then it makes sense. And so instead of beating myself up like, oh, look, I'm weak, I'm in the kitchen, I'm eating at 9 p.m., I'm like, oh, yeah, I really didn't eat enough today, and my body is making sure that I have more food. And that's the whole, you know, maintenance feeling of, of listening to my body telling me that I need to eat more on those days. Yeah, and so it seems it seems like from everything you said, from what Melanie said, from reading this study, that the the perfect way to protect lean body mass, to reach a, you know, a good state and to experience true hunger – is to eat, not eat constantly, so you don't have withdrawal symptoms. It's to eat in an intermittent fasting type protocol, and then it's to eat ideally nutrient-rich foods in that window. According to satiety signals. Yes. Yep. And that is the summary of Appetite Correction, the book by Dr. Herring, too. <laughs> I mean, that is really everything he says is just right there. in that study just is exactly, it, it correlates everything that he talks about in his book. Such a good book. Also, also plug our books. Yeah. <laughs> My book is um, What, When, Wine, and that's all about the paleo, the whole foods, and the, the fasting. And then Jenna Stilley, Don't Deny About the Fasting. So definitely check out all those books. If you'd like more information, you can go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. They're all listed there. And my second book, Feast Without Fear, is more about food. And, and, and that really talks about the whole food eating and, and what foods are, are, quote, best for everybody and is there one right way to eat? And the answer to that is no. But we're, we listen to our bodies and eat. Over time, we learn to eat the foods that, that are best for us, and it's not going to look the same for everybody. Have you ever thought about doing, like, a package deal on Amazon where people can buy both together? I'm just curious. It never occurred to me. I don't even know how to do that. Me neither, but... <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I I haven't thought of it because I don't don't know how to do that. You know how you can get like series of things? Yeah. I was just like, I was just, because I was thinking it's like, oh, if you combine Jen's two books, not that it's like my book, but you know, it's like right. similar, it's addressing two different aspects. Yeah. So I was just like seeing in my head like this one book that would be like your two books. Yeah, I don't know. It could be like a book where like, <gasps> like, oh my goodness, you could, you could make it so that it's both books together but they're upside down like one's upside oh, you down slow so i definitely don't know how to do that <laughs> yeah like i have i mean i guess i could i would just have to make it i i don't i mean i guess i totally i, I actually just figured out how i could do that you know how i said i didn't know how i could do it yeah i do you know how to make a book upside down well yeah you just make the back cover upside down 
and and then you would make yeah because the text upside down. you know both my books are self-published and through a platform called create space so you just submit yeah that's that's all I those how you, you just submit. well you just submit it you submit it upside down I, you, how would you submit the words upside down though i mean they just are you the way it's going to print they would just be oh, half true. of it oh, would be oh, printed right, right. one way and half would be printed the other oh yeah i could totally do that but i'm not going to that's what <laughs> i have no plans i have no no plans to to present the upside down version. People are people are going to be asking now. They're in like, the group, hey, they're going to be where's like, the where's upside the upside down, down version? version? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, get yourself some glue or some staples, staple it together. <laughs> it's upside down. No, but yeah, you I just like completely. You could like redo the cover and you can make it like this special edition. Yeah, I got other things to do, people. I have other things to do. <laughs> That's funny. I wish we could just like never sleep and just yeah. Well, I like to sleep. Sleeping things. is great. <laughs> this is true. Although last night I didn't sleep well because my cat wanted to sleep with me. So he was outside the door at like one in the morning. He actually hid in the bedroom. This cat hid in the bedroom. We closed the door, and then at about midnight he emerged and climbed right up and got all snuggled up. So I put him out because I don't sleep well with cats, and then. And about an hour later, he was outside the door crying. So that was – I did not get a good night's sleep. I remember I temporarily took – when I was in Atlanta, I took both of our cats. And I was I was like, oh, I'll take care of them in the apartment. Oh, my goodness gracious. One of the cats every single night would just moan for hours. And I yeah. would spend hours on Google being like, why is my – apparently it's like a thing. Like, why is my cat moaning? all night <laughs> well it maybe oh. it just wanted to hang out with you like mike ringo my cat ringo he just wanted to snuggle and it was in the middle of the night <laughs> and i did not want to snuggle <laughs> oh chad's here i could ask him my water question oh. hey chad come here oh this is so exciting chad come here can water be like a like water could we put if we put water in the sun well, don't, don't, okay, don't, okay, don't say it like that. Okay. If we put water in the sun and let it sit in the sun, does it change the water? Can there be a different form of water? Can there be a different form of water that's found in fruits and vegetables? <laughs> he said it, it could be a gas. <laughs> it could be solid, liquid, or gas. That's what he said. Could, okay. could it have a different charge that's similar to the charge in our cells? Could does water have a different charge, and could it is like water in our cells different from water in other places? He said not that he knows of. Tell him. Tell him I'll send him a link. She's gonna send you a link. She wants you to look at it. Okay. But water is water is water. Does water have various charges? You could convert it to hydroxide. That's what he's saying. See, when you start doing things with charges, it changes it, right? What is hydroxide? One hydrogen, one oxygen? Yeah, it's OH minus. OH minus. But it's not really water anymore. No. Somebody might call it the conjugate base of water. The conjugate base of water. But it, you're not going to drink it. No. No, it's not the same thing. Ask him about H2O versus h 302. Chad, come here. Ch okay, come here. A okay, H2O versus what? H3. H3O2. What's the, how are, what are, what's. Mm, I don't know what this is. He pointed to H3O2 and said, I don't know what that is. 
That's the fourth phase of water. Apparently, that's the fourth phase of water. Apparently, it's a negatively charged water. Negatively charged water. Negative electro... No, wait. A negative electrical potential. Negative electric potential. Does that make sense? H2O2 has a lot of stuff. Well, what is H3O2? Could that be a fourth phase of water? H2O2 and H, it looks like it should be positively charged. He said looking at H3O2 should be positively charged. Research. (laughs) Research needs to be done. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Your first thought is water is water. Water is H2O. Right. We know water is H2O. That's H3O2 is not water. That's what he says. Apparently it's 10%. Higher density with a negative charge. Okay, I'll have him look at that. All right, so listeners, stay tuned. We have another question, and this is from Pam, and the subject is listening to your body. And this really fits in nicely with the the one we just had about hunger. Pam says, hi, I'm just over 30 days into IF, and it's been wonderful. I never thought I would be able to do it successfully, but it surprisingly has not been difficult. I just listened to a podcast where Melanie said your body will let you know when it's time to break the fast. And I'm curious, is that when you get hunger tummy rumblings? I normally get the hunger sounds approximately 15 minutes before I am due to break the fast, and I'm wondering if it makes a difference how long I stay hungry before breaking it or not. In regards to listening to my body, when I get the hunger grumblings, is it okay to break the fast then, or should I wait because something fabulous is happening with my body's digestion? Thank you. Alrighty, so hunger sounds. So people do often wonder what creates these stomach rumbling sounds. And um, it's often a sign of the migrating motor complex, which is basically the waves in our our intestines actually that keep things moving and keep things going through. Because while food is in our, our stomach for a relatively decent amount of time and in our colon for a decent amount of time, things should move more efficiently through the small intestine, which is actually supposed to keep things moving. It's not supposed to have like constantly have food in it. A lot of people have something called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and that's where they get a lot of bloating and stuff like that. And that involves buildup in the small intestine, which can create a buildup of bacteria and a lot of digestive distress and stuff like that. But as far as those actual sounds that we associate with hunger, do typically associate them with the, with the stomach, but they can actually be from the intestines as well and it's often they actually should be happening these waves should be happening all the time actually it's just that when our stomach is full and we have food in us we don't hear them (laughs) because it's like the noise is muffled Um, whereas when you're in the fasted state you can actually hear that sound so in the healthy moving body where there's not stagnation in the digestive tract those waves should actually be happening all the time. And then some people hear them more than others. But some people do have food, you know, kind of stagnating. And so they might not hear it as much and things like that. The sound should actually increase when when the stomach and the small intestines have been empty for about two hours. That's when you should really start hearing things. Here, here's a little stat. So these hunger contractions... Uh, they can continue for 10 to 20 minutes once initiated, and then they can repeat every one to two hours until you have your next meal. But these are not the same as hunger pangs. So th- so it's not the same as like feeling hungry, like we talked about in the previous conversation. It's 
It's a little bit different. And it actually has a, a term for it. It's called, um, I don't know how you say it. I think it's one of those words where it's supposed to sound like what it is. What is that? What are those words called? Oh, gosh, I can't think of what that is called. Onomatopoeia? I think so. It's called um, Bori Bori Gimme. Bori Bori Gimme. I, I don't even know. So, yeah, that's that's the name for it. And they're not exactly sure which hormones are involved in creating it, but it might be one called Modalin, just some interesting stuff. So, to answer... Yes, I'm, I'm giving you a... It is, it is onomatopoeia. I was going to have to lose my honorary retired teacher status if I couldn't come up with that. But yes, it is onomatopoeia. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. So yes, Pam. So those sounds are actually happening, probably happening all the time, but you're only hearing them at certain times. As far as should you like wait to break the fast or not wait, um, I, I wouldn't worry either way I like I would not base your fast based on these sounds <laughs> just know that uh you have your your fast and then your body is going to naturally get into you know whatever digestive state should be best suited for it but a lot of people do find that intermittent fasting is really great though for stimulating that migrating motor complex and keeping things moving so that for people who do struggle with like intestinal dysbiosis like I said things like SIBO and stuff like that um, can really benefit from intermittent fasting. And um, yeah, definitely don't fear the sounds. No, they're supposed to be there. Um, you can you can ride them out like you like. If you feel like you're, if you feel like they're doing something fabulous, then you know, keep on, I mean, embrace that. Mindset is big. What are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah, I think you, you said a lot of great things there. I want to add one more thing. And that is, you know, should you break your fast or should you not break your fast at, at any certain time? And the whole idea of does your body tell you when it's time to break your fast? For me, sometimes my body can send me the wrong messages about is it time to break my fast? And it can tell me yes, even though that's not really, there's no reason. There's not really a reason why it's telling me yes. Like, for example, if I were to have packed a snack to take to school with me, or like like one day somebody gave me some Doritos. This is a true story. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. A student or somebody, somehow I ended up with a bag of Doritos, a little small snack bag of Doritos, and it was sitting on the corner of my desk. And I don't normally eat at work. Of course, now I never eat at work because I don't go to school anymore. But I never ate at school unless it was a true special occasion. But I had this bag of Doritos sitting on my desk, and I was like, I will eat that tonight when I get home. And it just sat there, and it sat there, and it sat there. And I started getting this intense, quote, hunger feeling that I was like, it really felt like my body was telling me I was hungry, but I'm not normally hungry at that time of day. I don't normally need to have a snack while I'm working, but because I just was thinking about that food and it was there, I was getting the feeling that I needed to eat it. And so I ate them <laughs> to make a long story short. I ate those Doritos and it wasn't because I was like really, really hungry or needed to eat. It was the whole thought that I had them and I wanted them. And it was more of like a craving kind of eating than true hunger. And so that, that didn't happen to me often, but really for me, the best way to know when it was time to break, to break my fast, when I was first starting out, it really was based on, I had to give myself an external cue, like the clock, you know, like my window time will open at this time. And even now, 
I do still look at the clock to see. Like I'll be sitting around and I'm, I'll have a little gurgle and I'll be like, oh, is it time to eat something? And I'll look and it's only 2 o'clock. And I'm like, no, it's not time to eat yet. Or I'll look and it's 3.30. I'm like, no, it's not time to eat yet. And that's just really me thinking about that I would enjoy eating because eating is something that is nice to do. So I don't usually find that I get like a signal from my body that it's time to open my window. I, I don't I don't feel that. Um, I, I could keep fasting or I could eat. And I really do still kind of look at, go with my social events and look at the clock and see what, what time of day it is more than now my body is signaling it's time to open my fast. Now, there are some days when I do feel a different kind of hunger. That's unusual. And uh, I'm like, okay, I really need to eat right now. That's very rare. It does happen on occasion. But, you know, really I still open my window more based on what I'm doing and what, what I'm planning for the day and what time it is than anything else. Yeah, and and the studies – I mean, I do find pretty consistently that people's appetite hormones and everything adjust to your patterns rather than the other way around. So when you start doing a certain pattern, you start getting hungry at a certain time. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Alrighty. So now we have two questions that actually, they came in recently around the same time, but they kind of speak to the same same question. (laughs) So we're going to tackle those. So the first one comes from Lisa and the subject is episode number 57, Dr. Walter Longo. And Lisa says, hi ladies, I've been listening to your podcast since you started and I have to say it's still one of my favorites. I wish you did more than once a week. Thanks for always providing such awesome information on the IF lifestyle. Finally, have a question to ask. On episode 57, Dr. Walter Longo mentions at eight minutes and 30 seconds in that you will not get into full ketosis unless you fast for 48 hours. This is disheartening as I thought we get into ketosis from everyday fasting clean. Is this correct? Am I actually not reaching ketosis and reaping all the benefits of fasting? I do a 24 daily fasting window. Do I need to first complete a 48 hours fast first to get all the health benefits? I've been researching online, but I can't find any info. I know you guys know more on this matter than most. Big thank you and hugs. And then the second question comes from Celeste, and the subject is fat burning during shorter fasts. And Celeste says, hi, Melanie and Jen. Just looking for some clarification. In Dr. Fung's complete guide to fasting, he confirms that glycogen stores last anywhere from 24 to 36 hours, and ketosis begins three to five days after starting a fast. This would seem to imply that we don't enter a fat-burning state until that point. My question is this. If I am only fasting for 16 to 22 hours each day, do I ever even enter a fat-burning state? Or are longer fasts the key to real fat-burning? It seems that most proponents of the IF lifestyle agree that anytime we are in a fasted state, we are using fat as energy, regardless of the length of the fast. So this is always something I've been confused about since starting my IF journey. Thanks for your insight and love the show, Celeste. So yeah, so we got these two questions and we've we've actually discussed this concept pretty recently on various episodes, but it's just a topic that gets very, people get really confused about it. Um, just as far as when are glycogen stores depleted? When do we enter ketosis? When are we burning fat? When are we not burning fat? Um, so Jen, would you like to tackle this? Yes. This is one that we answer like literally every day on the, 
on the Facebook support groups. And I even have like a, a saved note. There's like a few things that I answer a lot. So I have a saved note with my explanation because I was like typing it over and over and over again. And I'm like, wait, I just have to have a saved note for this one. So I can absolutely um, explain this one for y'all in just a minute. Hopefully it'll make sense. So I want you to picture like in your mind, a giant storage tank. Okay. Imagine it. Um, imagine one of those water tanks. Do I sound like a teacher? <laughs> this is my, my years of teaching coming out. Imagine one of those like water tanks that we, um, you know, might have in the office that you get water out of every day. Okay. So imagine that it's full. That's, that represents your stored glycogen. Okay. Now, just like both Lisa, you know, Dr. Longo said, and then Celeste mentioned that Dr. Fung said, if you start draining that water from the full, full water tank, okay, it might take, you're right, 48 hours, 36 hours to drain all of it. That's true. So if you start with full glycogen stores and just start fasting day one, fasting, 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 it might take you 36, 48 hours to drain down all of those glycogen stores. Yes. Now, here's the difference with intermittent fasting. The very first day you start intermittent fasting, your glycogen stores are full. So you're going to drain some of that tank out. You drain, 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 drain. Then you eat. Not all of your food goes back into your glycogen stores. That's important to keep in mind. Some of your food is going to be used to run your body. You're just going to store that excess. So you're going to refill some of those glycogen stores after that first day. Then the second day you're fasting, you're going to drain out more. It's going down, 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 down. Then you're going to eat. It's going to go up some more. But again, you're not refilling that tank every day. That's the thing. We call this the adjustment period. That's when the days that you're fasting, you're running on that stored glycogen, and you're going to keep doing that day after day until you fully deplete those glycogen stores. It might take you three weeks. It might take you six weeks. It might take you eight weeks. You know, we've had people, it depends on many, many things. It depends on the length of your eating window. It depends, yeah, what you're eating. If you're eating, you know, nothing but sugary snacks, you might have more stored in there. <laughs> if you're eating a whole, whole, whole lot of food, you're going to have more stored in there. It's going to take you longer to deplete it. Eventually, though, you'll get through it and you will start getting into ketosis. Now, you also have to, um, you know, the, the mechanisms of getting into fat burning have to get started. Like your body has to learn how to do that. It has to learn how to tap into your fat stores, how to convert it into ketones. And that, that isn't something that just happens immediately. Our bodies have to learn how to do it. Eventually, though, your body will learn how to do it. Now, we talked about before, like when I went on the cruise, and I ate a whole lot more food, and my windows were a whole lot longer. I ate a lot um, more than I normally do. My glycogen stores got pretty pretty refilled over that period of time where I ate a lot more, and it was not what I normally am eating necessarily. So I had a few days after I got back from the cruise where I was a little lethargic during the fast. I was depleting those glycogen stores again. I didn't have the great energy from ketosis. I needed to take an afternoon nap. But I could tell when I got down to the bottom, zip, there was my ketosis again. I felt the mental clarity. I felt the energy. It's just one of those things that once you get there, you'll know and you'll feel it. So yes, both Longo and Fung are correct. If you start with full glycogen stores and you start fasting, it's going to take you 36 to 48 hours to deplete them. But 
over time, we deplete them with intermittent fasting, and then we do get into ketosis. And we don't refill them every single day fully. We fill them a little bit, but then we deplete them more. That's the key. Yeah, I think that's great. And then I, I do want to clarify a few other things as well. There could be a difference, not necessarily, but there is a difference between being in a fat burning state and being in ketosis. So you can be burning fat and not be in ketosis. You don't have to be in ketosis to burn fat. <laughs> um, because I mean, if you think about it, people, people lose weight, people lose fat on diets, and they never go into ketosis. Yeah, that's so, true. So that's, a, that's something that's very, that definitely needs to be understood. <laughs> so if you're in ketosis, you're in a fat burning state, but if you're in a fat burning state, you're not necessarily in ketosis. I will clarify a few other little things. So um, Lisa, you're mentioning how Dr. how Dr. Longo said that you will not get into full ketosis unless you fast for 48 hours. I guess that also is another thing that we need to clarify. There are different levels of ketosis. So you can be generating, you know, just a, a little bit, a few, a small amount of ketones. You can be generating more ketones. So I don't know exactly what Dr. Longo is referring to when he says, quote, full ketosis. He might be referring to a state where you are completely glycogen depleted, where you are running essentially all on fatty acids and and ketones. And so that might be a little different than just getting into a ketogenic state during the day, which can still happen without going a full 48 hours and it can still happen when you're eating. Like I was just reading a a study yesterday because I'm actually doing side note. I'm doing a, a blog post right now, and it's ever it's going to be so long. It's like the longest blog post ever, but it's all about the keto diet. So hopefully that'll be ready by the time this this um, podcast airs. But I will put a link to that in the show notes if it is. That'll make me have to finish it. <laughs> um, I've been working on it for about two months, not even kidding. But I was reading a study for it the other day that was comparing, it was actually about the gut microbiome, how it's affected on a, on a, um, a high fat, low carb versus a high carb, low fat diet. This was just a side note. It wasn't the, the, focus, the focus of the study at all, but they did notice that within two days of somebody switching from a, a vegetarian high carb diet to a low carb, high fat diet, based completely on animal products. So no fasting was involved, but they were just eating basically no carbs. <laughs> they were eating all from the animal kingdom. They were registering ketones within two days. So they weren't fasting at all for two days. They were eating, but they still registered ketones after two days. So it's, <laughs> so it's a complicated thing. And I, I think people get really hung up on the terminology and am I in ketosis and what are my glycogen stores and when exactly does this happen? And honestly, it's it's very different for each individual. Like I said, ketosis and fat burning are not even exactly the same thing. Uh, you need to keep in mind exactly what Jen said about how we slowly can deplete our glycogen stores and a one meal a day pattern over time. But basically the idea is to just get out of the technicalities of it all and just know that by doing a daily fast every day, especially in a one meal a day eating pattern, you are teaching your body to utilize fat as fuel. You are slowly depleting your glycogen stores. So you are going to be getting into a fat burning mode, regardless of the exact level of ketones or all the, the crazy, crazy details. 
I think we can stress ourselves out trying to worry too much about what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, let's say, I mean, this is not true, but let's say that, no, you never get into ketosis, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. You know, you're losing fat. You're, you're, if, your body re, if your body composition is changing in a pleasant way and you can tell you're losing fat by the way your body is changing, I wouldn't sweat, you know, what's happening moment to moment. You know, am I sure that I'm getting into ketosis? Yeah, I, I have the keto breath. I've, I know how that, that, you know, back when I used the breath monitor, I know what that's like, but we can get so caught up in the details about what's happening. And if you're losing fat, you're losing fat. <laughs> you can tell, you know, you don't lose 80 pounds of water weight, for example. There was some video that somebody shared that was a YouTube video that said that unless you're like, if you're doing fasting, unless you're also doing keto, you're only losing water weight. <laughs> the whole premise was, unless you're doing intermittent fasting and keto, you're only losing water weight. You're not really losing fat. I'm like, you know, I guess I was flooded when I lost 80 pounds and I didn't do keto, right? Lost 80 pounds of water weight. <laughs> so that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But people hear that kind of thing and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm only losing water because I eat carbs. No. You can, you can think about it this way. Going into ketosis is Yes, it's the body's response to not having carbohydrates for glucose. That's what it is. But it, it, it's separate from fat burning. I mean, it's not separate, but like... <laughs> well, right, right. Like if you're having ketosis, you're burning fat. Here's another thing that's important to keep in mind. Just because you're in ketosis doesn't mean you're burning body fat. So people who like are measuring their ketones and they're like, look, I'm super duper in ketosis. I'm burning fat. You might be burning fat you ate or that, you know, if you're drinking a bulletproof coffee, that's not burning body fat. So you can be burning body fat and not be in ketosis and you can be in ketosis and not burning body fat. So yeah, when I was experimenting with MCT oil in different amounts, I would measure with the, the keto mojo meter and my ketone levels would skyrocket. Right. Of course they would, because you're burning that MCT oil and making ketones out of that. You know, if most people that are trying to, to do intermittent fasting to burn body fat, you know, the goal is not to get a high number on your ketone mojo. The goal is to burn your body fat. So, you know, I can tell you how to get a high number on your, on your whatever, but that's not what we're trying to do. It's just so interesting. People are so confused about, you know, the higher the, the keto reading we get, the better. Not necessarily. <laughs> where'd that, where'd those ketones come from? And then there's the whole exogenous ketones. You know, you take some exogenous ketones, your keto reading's going to go up. Well, of course it is. You just took some ketones. <laughs> you didn't even have to make those. You just took them. <laughs> well, I will... I will try my hardest to get that post up by the time this airs because I think it'll help a lot. It's epic. It covers all of this. Well, I can't wait to read it. It's so long. <laughs> but um, it'll be up either this episode or next episode. So stay tuned. Good. Alrighty. So a few things for listeners before we go. So if you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, uh, two ways you can do that. You can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to our website, ifpodcast.com, and you can submit questions there. 
Also at that website, you can subscribe to our email list and then you'll get you'll get a weekly reminder about the podcast. Also at that at that website, you can go to you can go to the specific show notes for today's episode. You can look at the studies we discussed and all of the things. You can also go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. That's where we put a link to all of the stuff that we like. So I'll put links there to the, the, the earthing mat and how to make your own water and, and books and all the things. Also, Kettle on Fire is there as well. And also other products that we uh, that we like um, with discounts. So like Dry Farm Wines, which is organic wines, Kettle on Fire, lots of things. Um, you can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and then you'll get the episode downloaded every week. You won't even have to do anything. Also, when you're in iTunes, if you have a moment to write a brief review, that would be super awesome. You can also check out our books. I have What, When, Why, which is about uh, paleo and intermittent fasting and wine as well. <laughs> Jen has Feast Without Fear. Uh, sorry, Jen has Delay, Don't Deny about intermittent fasting and Feast Without Fear about certain food choices for health and weight loss and everything. And so you can check those out on Amazon. And then audiobook versions of things might be up, should be up. We shall see. So definitely stay tuned for all of that as well. You can also follow us on Instagram. We are IF Podcast. That's where we do giveaways and things like that. So definitely check that out. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are the IF Pod if you're a Twitter fan. So, oh yeah, you can also help. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can also do that at patreon.com slash IF Podcast. So many things. Um, anything from you, Jen, before we go? Nope, I think that's it. Looking forward to our next episode. It'll be awesome. Alrighty, well, I will talk to you next week. All right, talk to you later. Okay, bye. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.